Greetings Zimbabwe, Africa and the world. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by HSTV. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with Jeff Nyarota, award-winning investigative journalist, author and media consultant. Enjoy this conversation. Jeff Nyarota, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. I'm so glad that I finally, uh, you know, we created the time for us to sit down and chat. We've been meaning to do this. Um, a lot of things happened in between, but finally, thank God we, we get a talk. Thank you very much for inviting me, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It took, Jeff, a, it took a long time for it, us to sit down. Absolutely. Interestingly that you say, Trevor, because uh, you and I worked together. Yes. And one thing that you taught me, um, I don't know if you still remember this, was if you're answering the phone, you must always say, Trevor Ngobe speaking, how can I help you? Your full name. And I haven't stopped doing that. So uh. <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for that. You're most welcome. <laughs> Jeff, you know, when um, a, an objective history of this country is, is written, uh, your name as an investigative journalist is going to be up there and Willowgate and uh, the Sandura Commission are going to be up there. Uh, and and the whole, we're talking about, uh, talking about corruption. So I want us to start on Willowgate. Um, the story, the fallout, the lessons from, from, from that whole experience, and the lessons for, for investigative uh, journalists. Talk to us about the story. What was the story about? What happened? Thank you. I think that sounds like a penalty <laughs> kick for me. Right. But let me start by expressing our very sincere condolences, condolences on the passing away of your parents recently. Thanks, Thanks Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. Now, Willowgate, the story. Uh, Willowgate, the story, started in very mysterious circumstances. Mm. The mystery being that a one-time friend of mine, we, we are still friends in spirit, but we hardly ever meet because we now occupy different stations in life. I'm talking here of uh, Honorable Obet Bofu who at the material time was the general manager of the Zimbabwe Grain Bag Company, which had just been established by ZANU-PF in Blawayo in anticipation of a massive harvest uh, at the time that yeah. year. Now, Obet Mpofu received a check from Willowville Motors here in Harare, which he wasn't expecting. He had no business receiving a check from Willowville. So he inquired about this check, but was not quite happy with, this, with the explanation that he received. 
Obet, as I said, was my friend. He used to work for Zimbabwe newspapers in the, on the management side at Herald House. Mm. So we maintained a friendship. So he, he came to see me in my office as editor of the Chronicle. And he was holding this mysterious check in hand. He says, look, I've received a check for so much from Willowville Motors, and I'm failing to understand the circumstances in which this check was issued to me. So naturally, I became very interested. That's how Willowgate started. Wow. Now, I appropriated the check from its owner mm -hmm. and proceeded to investigate its, the circumstances of Do you remember how much it was for? Uh, it was, something like, it was something like 2000 Okay. which in those days was a, lot of money. was a lot of money. Now, the issue was that somebody purchased a vehicle from Willowville. Uh, now, they didn't have the model. I think it was a Mazda B, B22. Mm. They didn't have the model available mm. at the time. Mm. So they allocated a Mazda B18, which was cheaper by the amount reflected on the check. Uh -huh. So it was a refund okay. for the extra payment. Now, uh, but Obetumpofu had not acquired the said vehicle, which is where the mystery now started yeah. to... Yeah. Now, uh, there was another Mpofu in, in Mulawayo. Uh, I don't remember his first name now. Mm -hmm. But he was the one who had purchased the vehicle from, from Willowville. In normal circumstances, this Mpofu, this other Mpofu, would not in any circumstances be in a position to purchase a brand new Mazda B22 from Willowville. That was not his station in life. Now, that's where the yeah, story started. the story begins, yeah. Right. So, he had been assigned by other people to purchase and collect this vehicle on their behalf. Mm. Now, these other people were one Ma, Ma Hanlao Naran, Aha. top business executive in Bulawayo. Uh, he ran a thriving liquor supermarket. No, no. A, a thriving liquor. Uh, it was not a supermarket. Mm. But to cut a long story short, he was the one who purchased the vehicle. Right. But he sent the other, Alvo Dumpofu ah. was the name, Alvo Dumpofu, to purchase and collect the vehicle. Now, to facilitate this transaction, Naran gave the, the required amount to Alvo Dumpofu in cash, mm -hmm. who took it to the Bank of Credit and Commerce, 
so that they would issue him with a check mm -hmm. to take to Harare, which Alvotumpofu did, uh, and he paid for the required vehicle. But as I explained, mm -hmm. they didn't have the the right car. The right car. Mm -hmm. That's how the Willowgate scandal started. Mm -hmm. Now, I went to the bank when I started to smell a dead rat mm -hmm. and inquired about the circumstances of the purchase of this vehicle. Now, the bank manager, one Mr. Akta of the Bank of Credit and Commerce, which you guys used to call the Bank of uh, Something and Thieves. Yeah. <laughs> yes, was, it was called, yeah? Yeah. He was not, uh, was not amused by my, by my line of questioning. Mm -hmm. But he cleared himself. He says, look, is it any of your business if a customer... A client, a customer of mine brings in cash mm -hmm. and they issue him with a check. Mm -hmm. Well, I considered that this was mm -hmm. normally not my business. But in this case, I, 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 I suspected that this had become my business. <laughs> because no sooner had I left Mr. Actor's office than he put a call through to Mr. Naran to say the editor of the Chronicle was here making inquiries about your check. Well, Mr. Naran, in turn, was not amused. So he calls me, and he's really upset. And he starts threatening me. He says that, uh, you know, uh, I didn't mention that uh, Mr. Naran was the biggest advertiser in the Chronicle at the material time. So he says, look, if you insist on this line of questioning about my affairs, I will do the only reasonable thing, which is cancel my contract with your paper. Mm. This was a big threat because wow. uh, Mr. Naran used to sign six months contracts. And that's a lot of money, as you know. Anyway, that's how the story started. And mm. it started now... Mr. Naran had been assisted by the Minister of Commerce and Industry, uh, the late Kalistas Dingiswayo Jovu. That ministry was responsible for Willowville. Mm -hmm. And so Mr. Honorable Jovu set in a very cushy position, influential position, in terms of allocation of vehicles to those, to the favored ones, which refer to the government ministers, following a decision by the government, by cabinet, that cabinet ministers must be granted precedence in securing much-needed vehicles so that, to quote their words, they could visit their constituencies. Mm. This happened to start with. Mm. But the ministers, instead of visiting their constituencies, they pounced on a more profitable alternative, 
which was to buy these vehicles and sell them on the black market. And wow. in no time, a lot of President Mugabe's honorable ministers had become uh, reputable car dealers. That was the story which we investigated and exposed, mm. resulting in the president establishing the Sandura Commission and witnessing a number of his closed, sorry, closest allies being humiliated in front of the public. This was uh, quite uh, an unprecedented experience. People could not believe, those that went to the High Court where the Sandura Commission held its uh, hearings, seeing the high and the mighty being reduced to ordinary levels. For cars? For cars. Uh, resulting in a number of them, uh, five ministers, including Minister Njovo, Minister Nkala, Minister Frederick Shawa, now Minister of Foreign Affairs, Minister Zingai Mtumbuka, then of Education, now living in, in Maryland, in this in the Washington, in the U.S. In Washington, yes, yes. Uh, and the, the now late minister, uh, Morris, Morris Nyagumbo, Nyagumbo, committing suicide. Who unfortunately proceeded to commit suicide. Very sad day for me, mm. because unknown to you and others, uh, Morris Nyagumbo was actually my in-law, because his brother married my aunt. Oh. So it was a very painful experience for me that this happened. Mm. Wow. Jeff, when you, when you, I mean, I remember there were attempts to intimidate you, uh, to humiliate you. I remember, correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, Innocent Gala saying, uh, little Jeff Nyarota, what, is, what can little Jeff Nyarota do to me? Uh, and also... President Robert Mugabe becoming edgy about your role. I mean, you ended up being promoted uh, to, to, uh, to, 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 to head office. Talk, talk to me, Jeff, about the, that whole experience. When you look back now at what you endured, when you look back now at the fallout and where we are now as a nation, talking about corruption, do you feel... What goes through your mind? Mm. Let me start by saying I made reference to the late Maurice Tafmani Nyagumbo. I always say that wherever he is, Minister Maurice Nyagumbo must look down on us with much regret mm. to think that he lost his life, he cut his life short on, a, on account of a Toyota, Toyota Crescida. 
okay, it was the, it was the luxury car of at Zimbabwe that at that time. But these days, that pales into total insignificance in comparison to what the corrupt guys of the day are up to. I'm not saying that anybody who imports a Rolls Royce is corrupt. But I am suggesting that among them must be some who can really account for the sources of their wealth if they were asked to. In fact, I'm waiting for the day when Zach will put into action a promise that it has since made that a day will soon come when they will be called to account. Mm. And I'm sure there will be gnashing of teeth there if Zach is really serious. But we go back to Inos. Nkala and the then president. You see, in the mid-1980s, Trevor, you know that yourself. Our ministers have become, had become larger than life. They were beyond, they, they were beyond control of anybody, least of all of the president of the country. They were a power unto themselves. Uh, Innocent Kala, for instance, did not believe he was accountable to anybody, to anybody, let alone a newspaper editor. <laughs> As you just mentioned, yeah. I had the indignity, the pain of hearing myself being referred to as little Nyarota. Now it's become my lifetime joke. When I'm introduced to new to people, who remember the incident you referred to? They always look up me up and down. They say, but, but in color said you were little. <laughs> so I say, maybe I was little then. I'm, I'm, but that was the, one of the humorous, uh, one of the humorous uh, aspects of that scandal. But Nkala was really upset, and he couldn't understand, and this appeared to be genuine, mm. why a journalist would ask him to explain what he did with his car. I have a video of him speaking on ZTV on that issue, which I watch about every two, three months just to... <laughs> <laughs> for entertainment. For entertainment. For entertainment, especially when I have visitors at home and they love it. Yeah, but the sad thing is the minister actually believed what he was saying. Mm. That you, as a journalist, as a, as a, as a, as a newspaper editor, owner, as an yeah, editor, you are nothing. You are nothing. nothing. One day I had occasion to bump into Minister Nkala at the trade fair. Uh, if you remember well, there used to be the trade, f the lawn row, the famous lawn row pavilion mm. where the late Herbert Munangatire held sway. And all the ministers 
relocated to Bulawayo during trade fair. And they could be easily found at Londro. That's where they had breakfast, they had lunch, they had... It was like an extension Whiskey. They, they of... ate from his hands. Yes. And he became powerful on that account. Now, I had the temerity to venture there while Minister Inosinkala was holding court. So when he saw me approaching, he said, ah, there he is. That, this was before the Little Nyarota incident. So he says, there he is, Nyarota. I see you are now Zapu. And he was shouting for everybody to, to hear. Now, I did not want to tempt fate by daring to respond from a distance. So I approached him nicely and sat by him. They said, uh, Minister, I'm sorry, but what is, what is the problem? And he says, you and your editorials, you think we don't know what, you, what we're doing? You are now a Zappu supporter. Mm. And who do you think you are anyway? So I realized that uh, to rescue myself, I must bite the bullet, mm -hmm. which I did. And I said to him, Minister, you know the, that the problem with powerful ministers such as yourself is that you never find time to understand find out about the small people of the world, people like us. Do you really know me? So I caught him out mm. of that. I said, Minister, if you, if you had the time to tell you, you would be humbled by who I am. I'm not talking about newspapers. Mm. I'm talking about the my person. past, where I have yeah. come from. You make assumptions. Now, other ministers were now listening intently, and uh, he was just blinking his eyes, and I decided to stop there, but I had uh, mm. scored a point. Mm. And that was the background to his fury when a year or two later, he said, we'll oh, get happened Yes. Mm. Now, you made reference to the president. Yeah. When the first installment of the Willowgate scandal appeared, I was summoned to Harare by Elias Rusike, our, our former our, boss. Our former boss, yes. Our former yes, boss. Yes. Uh, and my colleagues in Harare, I had two colleagues in Harare, professional colleagues, Tommy Stolle, editor of the Herald, and former editor of the Chronicle and Henry Moradzikwa, mm. editor of the Sunday Mail. Now, on arrival, I was told that uh, we were required to present ourselves at State House. The president wanted to see us. Now, somehow I suspected that uh, this meeting <laughs> was about you, must not be everybody else. <laughs> not everybody else. And my colleagues reinforced my fears on the way to State House. They said, uh, you will be lucky to come out of State House as editor of the Chronicle. 
So it was with much trepidation that we entered the, the massive lounge um, of a of state house. And the president then came. In fact, it was not just the three of us present. It was all the media bosses, all the editors, uh, CEOs. It was, a, it was a big occasion. And uh, I somehow knew that my friends had been correct. I had come to bid the president farewell as the, as the editor of the Chronicle. But I, 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 I say to myself, if I must fall, it must be with dignity because I haven't done anything wrong. In fact, the president should be inviting me so that he can pat me on the back for... Job well done. For a job well done, exactly. So eventually, the president comes in, he greets us all, and he starts talking as was his usual custom Stories. about the history of the liberation war. About, uh, then suddenly, he cuts, him short, say, cuts himself short, and he says, which one of you is Comrade Nyarota? And I said, it is I, Your Excellency. Ah. And that was the beginning of the drama. <coughs> Excuse me. Because he wanted to know what this was all about. And this was, of course, we located. So I had not come totally unprepared. So I rolled up and I told him. And I could see that uh, I was having impact on him. Uh, he asked questions which I answered truthfully. Um, he eventually said to me, Comrade Nyarota, I cannot stop you from publishing your findings. But I have one small request to make to you. I said, with due respect to your excellency, he says, please don't publish any lies but any about any of my ministers. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that was a fair wow, deal. Absolutely. I said, Your Excellency, I will make sure that I publish no lies about your your minister. That I restrained myself from saying there are so much, there, there are so many unpalatable truths about your ministers that it would be hardly necessary <laughs> for me to, to, to publish lies at all. So we shook hands on that. But when you left, you're no longer editor of the Chronicle, no? I was still editor of the Chronicle. Okay. I was still editor of the Chronicle. Right. Uh, I could see that... Uh, Yes, my Harare colleagues, yeah. yeah, who had been briefed otherwise, who had been briefed otherwise from the Ministry of Information. Uh, well, I will not describe mm. what I thought about their reaction because it would not be kind. <laughs> uh, so, I went back to Blawayo, reinvigorated with the mandate. From the president. I, from the president. Write the truth. Write the truth. Uh, I'd been 
press secretary to the previous president, President Banana. So I was no newcomer to State House. And President Banana used to say to me, Comrade Nyarota, you know what? It is the truth that will save our country. Uh, that's how the rest of the story mm. then mm. unfolded. Tell me, Jeff, when you look at that, there, there, there's two aspects here. There's the way the government reacts to, to the whole thing. There's the unfortunate suicide. There's the big man politics at play. But there's also our profession as, 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 as journalists. What lessons does Willow get? give us as far as far as investigative journalism is, is concerned what's your assessment of uh, the state of investigative journalism and journalism per, per se and you, you were saying you, you said rather that uh, you know politicians were were larger than life are they not still larger than life even 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 worse than they were speak to me on those issues the larger than life let yeah. me start with larger than life yeah. uh i speak to many current, many of the current stream of journalists, some of your guys, mm. for instance, younger journalists. Mm. And I always say to them, look, you guys don't realize how, how quite fortunate you are. And they say, why? I say, because we operated, we practiced our journalism in a totally different environment. You know, uh, listed with social media mm -hmm. they they social media respects nobody mm -hmm. that's the point i'm making now okay. if a quarter of what you read on social media these days appeared in any newspaper back in the 1980s those journalists would spend the rest of their life in jail, jail. so the situation here is mm -hmm changed. Mm. Now, you say our ministers no longer larger than mm. life. I don't believe they are to the same extent as uh, uh, Enos Nkala was. Even Mugabe himself. Mm. I mean, uh, I regret sometimes that I'm not an active journalist anymore. I would really love to lock horns with the president of the land. Say, can you please account for mm, this? Mm. Because I think he has opened himself to such kind of uh, uh, confrontation with the journalists. Mm. I mean, he goes through a lot that Mugabe would never have been subjected to. Mm. And this is a positive for us. Sure. Which maybe we are failing to, to exploit, yeah. to utilize, yes. Yeah. So, uh, I, I, I hear journalists complain that uh, they cannot uh, practice their profession, but sometimes it's, it's also there's a bit of dramatization. Mm -hmm. I was reading with uh, disbelief, dismay yesterday a story about a journalist who claimed to have written a story and then to have been abducted. I'm sure you saw this story. No, no, but I must have missed it. Yeah. yeah. 
to have been, it was one of these online reporters. Yeah. The, the journalists who claim to have been abducted. To have been abducted mm. and to have been subjected to, to violence or beating up by whoever. Now, yesterday a colleague of his went public with a picture that had been taken of the abducted journalist and the one who went public, as well as three colleagues, while they were having a good time in a Shabin in Mbare, where a fist fight ensued for reasons that were not given, but that is the nature of Shabins. They lend themselves to such a... But the story had gone right around, around the world about Zimbabwe. You know, this is, these are the, mm. the, these situations sometimes make me regret that uh, I'm, I'm a journalist. I don't want to be lumped together mm. with journalists who do that mm. to our profession, mm. to themselves, mm. uh, to our country. Mm. See, they'll pick on anything. I, I, I'm sorry if I sound like, um, like Nick Mangwana. <laughs> Or George Charamba, but I am speaking earnestly because this is my country. Absolutely. What, what's happened to to to, to journalism? What's I, to I journalism honestly here? don't know. I, what I think, Trevor, is that you could help each other here. Mm. See, our journalism training institutions are churning out a huge volume of journalists, new journalists, I call them half-baked journalists, whose training in some cases is dubious, whose chances therefore of securing a good job at AMH mm. are non-existent. Mm. Mm. So they become instant freelance journalists. My understanding of freelance journalists is that people like you and I uh, experienced, trained at, at our point of, at our time of retirement, then become freelance journalists. Freelance journalists. Robin Drew, mm. the last white editor mm. of the Herald, became a well-known freelance journalist in Harare. He was, he was my editor when I joined the Herald in 1978. Mm. Soon after independence, he became a freelance journalist. That is the nature of freelance journalism. It, it, freelance spoke quality, didn't it? Yes. It spoke experience, yes. it spoke wisdom. And yes. And when he contacts sources and he says, I am so-and-so, former editor of the Herald, mm. they immediately recognize, recognize, yeah. recognize his authority. Mm. And they interact with him accordingly. Mm. Now, if a dropout from some journalism training program who has become an instant freelance mm. journalist mm. calls you, mm. starts asking questions, asking you questions about your operations here, surely you'll be forgiven. I don't take the call. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but you know what they do? Mm. They will write about you nevertheless. Oh, yes. yes. They don't If, they you, don't if you say to them, no, look, I didn't do this. Mm. I was in London 
on that day. Here is my passport. Mm. They will still write the story and say, but he showed us his passport to say he was in London on that day. <laughs> so they will not allow the truth yeah, to, to stand in the way, to stand in the the way, way of, of their, yeah. their school. Which is so, sad, really, because it means that our, our, our profession, which is, which is the, the, the fourth state, we're the fourth state, yes. am I right? Uh, has been heavily compromised. Yes. Uh, I usually say, Jeff, that um, unless we take ourselves seriously, we shouldn't expect the public to take to us take, seriously. Why should they? Yeah. Why should Nkala take us seriously if we don't take ourselves seriously? Absolutely. Why should he have? Yeah. Why should uh, uh, Honorable Munangawa take us seriously mm. if we don't take ourselves, ourselves seriously? So that's the starting point mm. that we respect ourselves mm. first. By being professional. By being professional, true to the facts. By being ethical, yeah, ethical. respecting the truth. The truth. Yeah. Jeff, you were um, the founding editor of um, the Daily News, um, whose printing press was bombed, whose offices were bombed. Talk to us about that experience. You were arrested six times. Am I am I wrong? Yes. Um, that that speaks to an environment that was very um, hostile to freedom of expression, hostile to the jobs that you and I uh, are, are, suppo are supposed to do. In the first instance, who, as, as far as you're concerned, who was responsible for bombing the Daily News? And why would they want to bomb the Daily News? Who was responsible for bombing your offices? And why would they want to bomb your offices? Is that another penalty again? Uh, another penalty. <laughs> that but, but I will refrain from <laughs> kicking this one. <laughs> For legitimate reasons, which you will understand. Now, the first part of the question, who was responsible? Mm. Now, towards the end of uh, 2001, no, at the height of the land invasions. Mm. And see, our government felt under pressure. And in those circumstances, they saw enemies all over the place. I'm sure they saw enemies even among themselves. Nobody could trust anybody mm. anymore. And one of their worst enemies was the press. Not all press, because they had their own. Uh, the Herald, my former Chronicle, those were the good newspapers. Not the Financial Gazette, mm. uh, not the new kid on the block, the Daily News. Mm. So, they viewed us as being agents of the foreign, uh, foreign powers who wanted to exert control or who wanted to implement change of governance in Zimbabwe. Right. I speak as one, sorry, let me start by explaining that when we started the daily news we agreed that 
we would never have anything to do with donor funding for good reasons. Mm. Because once you accept donor funding, you open yourself to accusation that uh, whoever is funding you is capturing you. Mm. There's a lot of talk these days about media capture. About media capture. So we did not take any donor funding. We appealed to individuals of like mind who had spare cash to invest in our project. But all this was scuttled when the printing press was bombed. And it was bombed, if you remember well, a few days after our former friend, Jonathan Moyo. Jonathan Moyo. You remember that yes. Jonathan Moyo was our was our star columnist. He contributed to the success of our financial gazette. Yeah. And we became such so close that I took Jonathan Moyo to my village in Nyazura one weekend. And we spent a day there by the bottle store. And you will not believe it. People were coming, greeting Jonathan Moyo and me. They would go into the bottle store and come out with two pints, some with two coats. By the end of the day, the fridge was full of our... We eventually had to give them away. But I'm trying to make a point mm. here about how we became close because Jonathan was... A, a, a crucial writer for, for us. But he did in about 10 somewhere. I don't know what happened. By the time we met again, Trevor, when I was editor of the Daily News, he brooked no nonsense. And nonsense by his definition. If you write a negative story about the government when he's Minister of Information, that amounts to nonsense. So, a couple of days before the end of January 2001, he issued a damning threat that he was going to deal with the daily news. Right? Now, maybe this was coincidence, coincidence. happenstance, mm -hmm. but two days later, indeed, our printing press went up in smoke. But we can't accuse people on supposition without evidence, evidence. right? Mm. But uh, that this was a, an operation mounted by government or people within government is without mm. doubt. Now, when I said I will not take this penalty kick, Trevor, uh, I am right. I've written my third mm, book. Mm. It's called uh, The Journalist as an Outcast. Mm. And while conducting investigations for material to put together in this book, I mounted an investigation into who bombed the daily news. Mm. So in this forthcoming book, I will not give you a sneak preview <laughs> in your... <laughs> It's in there. I look it's, forward it's, to it's, reading it's that. It's in there. Yeah. Names, mm. circumstances, unfortunately, Trevor, mm. 
two of them are now dead. Oh. Especially the director of the whole operation, mm. who was a CIO guy, mm. top CIO, mm. who drove to our, uh, our, our printing press and directed this whole operation. I have his name and mm. his colleagues in the forthcoming wow. book. We look forward to, to, yeah. to, to reading that book. But Clearly, you had become... So, go ahead, Jeff. Go ahead. Uh, I took the precaution, just mm -hmm. in case somebody decides to silence me and my book, to, 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 to place it in the care of my very good lawyer, so that if anything happens to me, mm -hmm. the book will the still... Book will still you, you, you remember the late Honorable Onkala said he had written a book, mm -hmm. but he only wanted it to be published after his death. <laughs> But I'm not doing the same as uh, the former minister. The, mm. the, the book is it's written. It's, mm. been, it's been written for some time. Mm. And it will reveal who bombed the daily news. Mm. You had become a pain um, uh, on the side of uh, ZANU-PF and, and the government. I mean, the, the, the bombing of the daily news uh, printing press and then the, um, your offices. Um, you grew the daily news from nothing to becoming bigger than the state-controlled Herald. In your view, what explained that success? Uh, it's a very simple story, mm. uh, Trevor. The runaway success of the daily news was due to the control, tight control, that the Mugabe government exerted on the, on the Zim papers. Um, stable. Stable. Because they were not free to publish mm. anything. You may remember, Trevor, that when we were at the Financial Gazette, there was one incident involving a, a demonstration which went on for a week involving school teachers. Mm -hmm. You may remember that. Yes, I do. It went on for a week. Teachers would assemble in Africa Unity Square every morning and they would chant, sing all day long until the end of the day. Started on Monday. There was no story in the Herald, just across the road. Mm -hmm. Tuesday, no story in the Herald. Wednesday, no story in the Herald. Thursday, what, what day were we coming out? Thursday. Because we changed from yeah, one day to the other. I'm not sure. We're coming on Thursday. Hey? Thursday. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, that story appeared in the Financial Gazette. A weekly. A weekly. And if you remember, who wrote this story? The guys in the Herald House. Wow. Because they were tired of uh, wiping the mm. tear gas from their eyes. But this did not motivate them. The tear gas did not motivate them to write what they were witnessing mm. just across the road. Mm. So in frustration, they gave the story to us. Yeah. It's very sad, but mm. I'm trying to explain sure. what led to the, to the success of the Daily News. Now... Minister Victoria Chitepo had issued an instruction that the story should not be covered. The instruction obviously went to Zim paper. So they acted accordingly. According to instruction. And 
did not see no evil, did not hear any evil, or did not... Do you think the situation is still the same? I'm coming to yeah. that. So, that was the background. By the time the Daily News appeared on the streets, people were fed up mm. with this um, kind of uh, coverage. Mm. Where they see events happening, then witnessing events... Uh, being eyewitnesses to events makes people buy newspapers mm. for the detail mm. and the background mm. the following day, and mm. there's nothing. Right. So there was a genuine hunger, mm. genuine thirst for information about events in the lives or surrounding the people of Zimbabwe. So when we announced that we were introducing a new paper, there was panic at various <laughs> levels. Uh, because they associated the people involved with journalism that had to do with investigation mm. and exposure mm. of wrongdoing. When the paper arrived, predictably, mm. it, were, it sold like hot cakes from day one. When we launched, uh, the Herald was printing and receiving returns on 165,000 copies per day. Mm. We started modestly around 30,000, but by the end of our first year on the streets, we sold, we printed and sold 129,500 copies, mm. which were all sold. By that time, the Herald had been reduced to a modest 50,000. Mm. Mm. So I'm trying to explain sure. the, 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 the expectation that government control had generated mm. among newspaper readers. Mm. These days I know we, we say uh, because of, um, because of uh, social media and online publications, our newspapers can no longer sell that many newspapers. Yes, that makes sense, but mm. I always uh, say that uh, my favorite of your papers is uh, Newsday, for obvious reasons. Mm. It is available. If Newsday has a front page uh, headline, Munangagwa's Swiss accounts, all the details, <laughs> it can sell 100,000, it can print and sell 100,000 mm. mm. with, with, with apologies to his honorable, I'm just using him as an example. Right. I'm not suggesting in any way. <laughs> right. right. But yeah. it's a good example yeah, to, yeah. to illustrate the mm. point that I'm, it's, it's, it's what appears on your front that sells newspapers. Mm. It's the content. Yeah. Uh, we, we tend to give away space to social media, mm. which we have already agreed is run by people of... Dubious mm. character. Right. Mm. So it does, it, there's a contradiction mm. somewhere. Mm. The, the, the Daily News was launched 2000, eh? It's 2000? 1999. 1999. April 1999. We're talking about the year 2000. 2000, yeah. Okay. Jeff, they, they, when you were at the, <coughs> at the Chronicle, this, this has been an issue 
that people have been debating that uh, Jeff Nyorota and the and the Chronicle, uh, your views on Gukurawundi that you didn't speak up uh, against uh, Gukurawundi. Yes, I think you've written in your book. Uh, there's a chapter against the grain, but there's a view that once you're editor of uh, the Chronicle. Uh, the Chronicle did not expose what is happening with, uh, with Google. What's your response to that? That's another penalty. This time, I will take, take it. it. Now, my friend Trevor, this view which you are elaborating now is a view of limited historical value. This story about what Jeff Nyarota could have done mm. during Gukura Hundi is an issue that was non-existent at the material time. I never heard it. I know when it started, mm. I'll kick the ball. Mm. It was never there until the... T um, I lived in Blawayo for a year or so after the signing of the unity agreement signifying the end of Kukurahundi. Up to my departure at the end of 88, nobody, but nobody ever said this about me mm. or anyone else in the media. That's my starting point. Sure. Now, why did the people of Bulawayo and Matebeleland at the material time never say this? Mm -hmm. Point one. Mm -hmm. Having left Bulawayo on promotion, according to President Mugabe, to, 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 to the previously non-existent post of Group Public Relations Executive in Harare, we launched a NZ in 1998. Our first project as ANZ was a weekly paper called the Chitungweza Express. Mm -hmm. The second project was the Bulawayo Dispatch, and it is the dispatch that I want to refer to. Right. I went back to Bulawayo to launch a newspaper for Bulawayo, mm -hmm. the dispatch. Mm. Uh, there was an official opening. Those that we invited came, but the people bought. And it was snatched, sold out. Nobody ever said, ah, you know who is coming back with this mm -hmm. paper? Is mm -hmm. that Jeff mm -hmm. Nyarota? Mm -hmm. No, nothing of the sort. In due course, I came back again to Bulawayo with the daily news. And all hell literally broke loose as the people of Bulawayo rushed to buy the daily news, knowing full well who was behind it. The same person who had not acted professionally at the Chronicle, myself. Nobody ever said mm. anything. Right. To me, 
these instances are meaningful. Mm -hmm. In 2014, I was appointed by our former friend, Jonathan Moyo. Right. As chairman. Of MP. Of MP. Mm. Now, the MP um, project took us all over the country, including Bulawayo. We had a meeting in the large city hall. It was packed with people. I made a presentation there. Somebody raised his hand after my presentation. Mr. Nyarota, why don't you come back to the Chronicle? We're tired of this nonsense. And there was applause. I was, or oh, I felt honored. The following day, we went to Nkulumani. There was another meeting there. And the Z-phone queue, somebody else asked the same question. Mr. Nyarota, why don't you come back to, to, to Bulawayo? I said, for what? Said, Take charge of the Chronicle again. It's gone astray. Mm. Right. I'm only giving you this sure. instance by way of background. Mm. Now, here's what happened. Mm. There was no issue about Gukura Wundi from the time I was in Bulawayo until when I was fired by same Sipepa Nkomo from the Daily, Daily news. news. And I relocated to the States. Now, you may want to know that, see, you, are, you put a ball in front of me, and I'm a man of honor, I always speak the truth. One of, when we set up the Daily News, we set up an office in Blawayo, and we picked up on one bright young lad, who was not a trained journalist, but he had, a, he had a, an eye for news. Mm. His name was Mududuzi Matutu. In due course, we brought Mududuzi to Harare, to head office, to train under our training editor, the illustrious but now late William Bango. And everybody should have lived happily ever after. But no. One day I'm flying to London and I meet in the departure lounge my most junior reporter, Mududu Zimatutu, carrying a bag. I say, Oh, Comrade Matutu, where are you off to? So he says, To London. See, but in what circumstances is Mududu um, I'm your editor. I, I, I have no idea of you going off duty, least of all, to a far, a distant place. He says, oh, Mr. Nkomo arranged this trip for me. It's a training program. Trevor, hmm. you are, you are mm. a newspaper man. Mm. So this underling has been, even you sitting here today cannot do that to the editor of of, uh, of uh, Newsday, of Newsday, mm. standard. You so the CEO has spoken. To so the CEO has made this private arrangement with a young reporter from his part of the country. Mm. I'm not trying to be tribal mm. here, but mm. I'm stating facts. Yeah. So anyway, I can't stop. So we fly together to London and we bid each other farewell. I come back, uh, then. Paper fires me, and 
that is also mm. history. But in due course, while Spaber was doing this, I was busy winning awards at the Daily News. Mm. By the time I eventually left, I'd received no less than nine international awards. Mm. I didn't count the local ones. Mm. Right? So I am no longer the Jeff Nyarota of the Chronicle. I am somebody else mm. now. Internationals, mm. men of international mm. stature. Multiple awards. And, you know, I always say that if I was to start all over again, I would never want to win an award for journalism. Why, Jeff? Creates enemies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there must be a cut-off mm. point mm. to make everybody happy. Mm. So by the time I'm in the States, Mududuzi is now in, in London and uh, he's uh, working on starting a new paper of his own. Now, I'm working my story backwards mm. now. I can assure you, if I want to start a paper today or tomorrow, I can do so. Mm. I can go to any donors to say, look, I want to do a story on a, a paper that focuses on Gukura Wundi. Mm. I'll come back with money, mm. I tell you. This has been happening, Trevor. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. This has been, and I fell victim. In Juke, Sorry, I, in due course, I have Mduduzi in London, uh, Jonathan in Harare. What, mm. what rescued me was the 6,000 kilometer distance to Boston. Mm. Otherwise, I don't know whether I will still be sitting before you today. Mm. Now, they start talking about Gukura Undi. The Chronicle did not report Gukura Undi properly. This is because they want their own paper to get funding under the guise of seeking to, pro to, 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 to report Gukura Undi properly. Yeah. Now, as God would have it, in due course, Jonathan appoints Mududuzi as editor of the same chronicle. We still anxiously await the appropriate coverage. Now, to come back, Trevor, this is my first book, against the grain. Mm. I have a chapter in here in which I deal with uh, Gukura Hundi. Unfortunately, this book was never sold in Zimbabwe. Mm. It was produced in Cape Town and sold and marketed in, from South Africa, but they never sent it here. Mm. So people don't, my, I wrote this for my compatriots, mm. but they don't know what I wrote. Mm. So I'm having a re reprint. Yeah, it's now well advanced. Okay. It will soon be uh, available. Look forward to, to right. I tried my best. Mm. I'm an honest man, you know mm. me. I'll, ne I'll never lie in print. So the, 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 let's move to a, an interesting part of your life. You decide to talk to us about your decision to join politics. What went through your mind? Um, and and uh, uh, what, then, what then happened uh, after you decided to go into politics? Mm. My decision to yes. go into politics, yes. Trevor, was not actually my decision. It was a decision made by the people of Makoni, my home area, my constituency, right. and thrust upon me protesting for two years, three years. When I came back from the States, uh, Makoni constituency, Makoni South, mm. had a member of parliament, mm. one honorable 
Pishai Muchauraya. Contrary to public opinion, we become quite uh, friendly despite our political, our volatile mm. past. Now, Muchauraya is for reasons shared with me, made himself unpopular with the people. To start with, he is from Chipinge. He is not from Akoni. Mm. But in what happened in 19... No, no. In 2008, mm. 2008 election, when he was uh, elected, no one in Makoni constituency had the guts to challenge ZANU-PF. No one. Mm -hmm. So what does the MDC do in those circumstances? It goes outside the constituency and spots Pishai Muchauraya in Rusape where he lived. So they talk, and he agrees to stand for election in Makoni. See, now by the time I am back, mm -hmm. as I said, things has not, things have not gone as well as had been expected, and he has become somewhat unpopular. So when the people hear that I've come back, and I've been treated badly at my former paper. Mm. At the Daily News, daily. They've, they've kicked me out for the second time. See, I deserve a, a mention in the Guinness Book of Records as the editor who was fired twice, four, 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 ta time. four times. Mm. Twice by one publication. Twice by one publication. And all this happened while all his papers were on the rise. Right, but that's an aside. It's a big one. Now, my people... They see me there. I've been kicked out again. Meanwhile, they have a problem MP. So they add one and one. They say, maybe this is God making, arranging this for us. Our son has come back. Let's have him as our MP. Mm -hmm. That's how I went. So I refused. I said, look, I am in the process of starting my own company, uh, Buffalo Media Publishing Company. And I can't do two things at the same time. Now, I published, I launched Buffalo Media in the assumption that the money that I'd won at the Daily News in court, mm. the 92,000 would come, and I would invest it in the, uh, project. New, in mm. the project. But uh, things did not go that way. Mm. By 2013, I had no option but to sit down with the people of my that's, that's how I went into politics, mm. reluctantly. Do you have any regrets for going into politics? No, 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 no. Uh, not at all. Yeah. It was a valuable learning. Mm. I learned a lot of things. Mm. To start with, I assumed that uh, I would have an easy passage through the, 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 the election on the basis of massive support from my colleagues in the media. Name recognition and everything else, zilch. Zero. Mm. In fact, they started to write falsehoods about me, starting with my own earlier paper, the Manika mm. Post. Mm. And all newspapers, no, not one of them ever came to me to say, can we talk to you? Mm. But they talked to my, to my rival. Right. That's the story about how I... Mm. Now, the 
this 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 venture, my brief venture into politics, culminated in the incident where I was cheated by my own uh, party, the MDC Tsangirai, the party that I stood for in the election. They cheated me in broad daylight. People, people cried when they saw what happened that day at the so primary election. your own party didn't want you to be their candidate? They didn't. See, I was wanted in the village. By the people. Not at Harvest House. You put it nicely. Yeah. That was my predicament. Yeah. Well, so right there, Jeff, what's your sense of our politics? What's your sense of opposition poli politics in Zimbabwe at the, at, the, at the present moment? I mean, the people of Makoni um, um, want you as a member of, uh, as their member of parliament, but uh, your party at Harvest House doesn't, doesn't think that you, 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 you must come in. Mm. What the, does that say? The, the difference here, Trevor, you ask a very pertinent question. The difference here is that the people of Makoni have an honest, a sincere evaluation of me. The people at Harvest House have various ways of looking at you. Mm. As a rival, mm. you know, politics is all about rival. Mm. Maybe, maybe if you, if, you, if you win as an MP, maybe Trangrai will have a softer spot for you. And even Trangrai himself may look at you as Keynes. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. I will not go into that, mm. but it, that is also... So the, meritocracy is not the issue. Meritocracy is not the issue... At Harvest House. At Harvest House. Mm. Or at ZANU PF headquarters. Mm. That is why uh, in, um, in our elections, by election day, there are so many independent mm. candidates in both ZANU PF and mm. in the MDC. This is because... ZANU headquarters throws in a candidate while the constituency throws in mm. its own, own candidate. Mm. Uh, I, I, I had occasion to say to my colleagues in the MDC, because they used to think that anybody coming in this late towards election must be a CIO. <laughs> Opportunist. Uh, an opportunist. Uh, not opportunist. Not, not opportunist. Opportun ZANU PF sponsored uh -huh, uh -huh. by ZANU PF and CIO boils down to the same thing. And I used to say to them, colleagues, there's something that you don't appreciate. You look with suspicion at anybody who dares to align himself or herself with you towards election time. You say they must be spies or CIO. How do you know that you embraced spies in CIO back in 1999 and they are there now fully fledged and enjoying mm -hmm. the Did that experience change your view of MDC? Uh, yes, it did. Okay. Is that in sufficient? What way? In what way? Uh, I had no idea that, see, this, this, this experience provided me with a window into MDC, into politics, mm. especially opposition politics. See, and I, when I walked out, it was a, some sense of resignation. Mm.
So, so, so these people are expecting to replace ZANU-PF. And this is what they do to each other. In other words, to themselves. That's, that's amazing, that. Right. And ZANU-PF is watching all the time. Mm. See, there is some perception that uh, ZANU-PF is waiting for the opposition to remove them. Nothing could be further from the truth mm. than that. No. They didn't build that headquarters so that they would abandon it one day in favor of abdicate, abdicating to, to, to a rival party. So, but that's not mean that they cannot be replaced. But they can only be replaced through appropriate strategy mm. with mature politicians. I always say politics is all about maturity. Mm. This business of youngsters graduating from... Uh, Women's University or, or Faculty of or Law, NAST, mm. Faculty of Law, <coughs> and immediately they are into politics, and sometimes they win, and in their first uh, speech in Parliament, they they are demanding keys for their car. They've never driven a car of their own, mind you. They've never carried a briefcase to work. And suddenly, they, full, they, 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 they believe they have all the answers for the problems that bedevil our country. Mm. Uh, let me move you to another aspect of your life. Um, you and uh, our good friend, Jonathan Moyo, get to meet um, in uh, 2015. Is it 2015? And you're appointed to chair the Information and Media Panel of inquiry, you produced a 666-page report. Yes. Um, tell me, the, I mean, not going into details of uh, what the report say, w were you disappointed? Uh, what's your sense? Uh, were, were the 666 recommendations ever implemented? Did you ever think they would be ever implemented? If I, if I was ever disappointed in my life outside journalism, it was in 2015, mm. in the aftermath of our presentation of the MP report to the Ministry of Information. Uh, by the time we got to printing that report, the ministry had run out of money. They were allocated $1.5 million for that project, which was subsequently increased to $2.1 million for that project. By the time I wanted money to print the report, the coffers were empty. They were not even paying us some of our allowances, not paying for our fuel. The money had gone. Where right. to? Where to? Where money usually goes. <laughs> <laughs> In the circumstances that are not quite visible. Right. Uh, I had to fundraise for the printing. I raised $25,000 for the printing. Now, I'm mentioning this as a prelude to saying, mm. after we submitted our report, 
We then shook hands and I bade them farewell. Our office was in Mazowe Street. Mm. I had occasion to visit there a couple of months later and I peeped into my old office and all the copies were there. <laughs> None had been distributed. I talked about disappointment. Yeah. yeah. So what was this all about? Answer the question, Jeff. What was this all about? Uh, let me say, as chairman of IMPI, I was entitled to a very nice car, a Toyota Land Cruiser Prado. My deputy was entitled to a similar car. So, in Jukos, we saw two Toyota, Prado, Toyota Land Cruiser Prados delivered outside our offices. And my secretary staff said, oh, Mr. Nyarota, your cars. So, there was jubilation, including in my heart. Later in the day, the cars were not there. So, our collective assumption was that they had gone for fueling, <laughs> CMED. By the time of, by the end of the day, the cars were not back. Mm. Well, maybe they took their time at CMED. Maybe there was paperwork to be completed. The following morning, the cars were not there. By the end of the day, the cars were not there. Third day, by the end of the day, the cars were not there. So I started inquiring. Now, I'd made lots of friends at Ministry of Information by the time I departed. So they say, ah, Mr. Nyarod, your cars have been allocated to Comrade Minister and Comrade uh, Permanent Secretary. They are no longer your cars. As for you, there is a Naisuzu twin cab. Well, an Isuzu twin cab is quite a, a nice car. car. It's mm. a good car. Yeah. I wish our government ministers knew that. Mm. They will save us a lot of money. Mm. So I took the keys for my Isuzu twin cab and lived happily mm. for the uh, duration of the, of the project. Mm. But the point is, I was used, this is, my, this is my view now, this project was used for purposes of acquisition. Mm. I can tell you here that we bought 11 Isuzu twin cab trucks, including mine, for the project. They went right around the country. At the beginning, we traveled, Trevor, mm. covered every part of the country. But the more we traveled, the less the area to be covered diminished. The, the more the area to be covered diminished. So that towards the end, the, the, the vehicles were sitting there. But before that end, our vehicles had been reassigned to a new project. My Grace Mugabe's Meet the People Tours. Did you ever, let me say this, uh, uh, Jeff, do you think you were naive? Did you ever think that 
Jonathan Moyo and George Chiramba would do anything with the 666 page report that you guys produced? Is that a fair question? It is a fair question. But when we were not, when we were working on our project, the countenances of Jonathan Moyo and, jo and George Charamba had receded to the periphery. We were seized with the task in the hand. And we were not always thinking of George. Mm -hmm. Or what, George is, what, mm -hmm. is, what is Charamba going to do with this? No, no, no. We're just doing an honest job. We're, mm -hmm. being, quite, we're being paid quite nicely, by the way. So we owed the ministry a good job. And we gave them a good report. It is there. And uh, I remember we had a meeting called Baby Ministry in Nyanga thereafter. And uh, some of the chairmen of the, the various sections of, of the report were invited and they made presentations. One of them is Dr. Namo Miripiri of the University of Midlands University. Mm. He made a very sad point. He said, I don't understand why the ministry is delaying in implementation of this report. But we are already implementing its contents at the university in, wow. in Guero. Yeah. Wow. So that report sits gathering dust. I'm not sure. I haven't revisited it, but I would not be surprised if it was there, yeah. maybe. Jeff, we are holding you back from uh, going to pick up your, uh, one of your eight grandchildren. Um, he's eight years old. You know, I, I, um, I don't have grandkids yet, but I must ask you, because I hear a lot of my friends saying there's nothing as rewarding, fulfilling, as beautiful as having a grandchild. What is it like having a grandchild for Jeff and your daughter? Your informants are 100% correct. Right. You haven't started living until you've had a grandchild. Wow, talk to me about I experience. <laughs> what is it like, Jeff? <clears throat> if I was to start all over again, I would dearly wish to have a life full of grandchildren. Oh, wow. Perhaps without children. <laughs> <laughs> if, awesome. that were, if that were possible. Awesome. I mean, I live for my grandchildren. Mm. Uh, the older they grow, the less accessible they become. Oh, it's so it's sad to see them go, but mm. fortunately, I still have... Uh, I still have... What a blessing. What a blessing. Jeff, you have written two books. Three is... Third one is on the way. We another fourth one is also one is coming. Yes. Um, we love books on this show, Jeff. And um, um, so the, the Against the Grain is your first your first. That's book. my first That's book published first book. in two thousand and six while I was in the, written and published while I was in the States at Harvard. And and you're working on a reprint or of this one, yes. Of this one. Okay. As you see, it's, 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 it's been it's been, it's been read by more than fifty people. It's the right. only copy that I have and it's not in the shops. We look forward to, yeah. to getting it. And then your, your, this is your second book, hey? This is my second uh, book. It's called uh, The Graceless Fall of uh, Robert Mugabe, The End of uh, a Jesus Reign. Yes. Thank you so much. And then the third one? Uh, the third one is The Journalist is an Outcast. Mm. 
It's when, a, when it's is that one out? Uh, if I'm lucky, before the end before of the, the year. End of the year. Okay. It's about, see, the graceless four is my memoirs. But I realize now that I wrote my memoirs prematurely when my life was, was still full of... Uh, so the graceless four mm. is my memoirs after the graceless four. Mm. It's about what happened to me. Mm. Well, not the graceless four, the, the journalist is an outcast. Right. Uh, some people believe that I went through worse after I left the Daily News. Mm. I'll leave you to find out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, the fourth title, which is also in a stage of completion, is called The Honorable Minister. Ah. It is my first attempt at fiction. Hmm. But I call it truthful fiction. I, I, you wait to my appetite, and I suspect I know who the Honorable Minister is, but let me not go there. Je and what, I mean, apart from these, I mean, these are the ones that you've written, Jeff. What books have you read that have made a huge impact on, on Jeff Nyarota? Uh, as an author, I will answer that as an yeah. author. The book that has had the greatest impact on me was Chinua Achebe's oh, Things Fall Apart. Now, during my stay, my stay in the United States, I was a professor at Bard College in upstate uh, New York. And the late Chinua Achebe was also a professor. What a blessing. Right. I had known about him and respected him long before I eventually met him. But being juxtaposed to him in these circumstances was a blessing I'm sure to me. Was. And I've read the book more than a few times. Mm -hmm. Any other book that you want to recommend apart from Things Fall Apart? Uh, apart from my own. Yeah, apart from your own. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, not a, not, not, not but I, I, I've become somewhat of a collector of books, mm. and sometimes I feel guilty that I don't, I don't have the time mm. to go through them. Mm. But I went through David Coulter's uh, oh, book, and I like the. You know, he he, he dwells at considerable length on Gukura Wundi. And he says, it is difficult to trace to source the figure of 20,000. And Trevor, I think that is a statement mm. that Zimbabweans should take seriously. Uh, okay, we all, I, I have a lot of respect for David, and he wouldn't say this without cause. In fact, he says it is his opinion that the 20,000 could be traced back to the late Mdala, Joshua Nkomo. Uh, but he has since set me thinking if there is dis dispute 
on the magnitude, on the quantum of victims of Kukuraonde, why don't we check? Why don't we, I wanted to say headcount, but that would be inappropriate. Why don't we put a project together that goes around all the affected village, villages listing the names of people who disappeared. It's a big thing. It is a big, thing. A big thing. Yes, it, yeah. it, I think this country needs it. Mm. Mind you, we had another war before Gugurawundi. Thousands of people mm. were, called, were, were killed during the war of liberation. I don't hear anybody yeah. say anything about it, but I can assure you that if you go down to my village, they will tell you, so in, so. in, in 1977, mm. uh, and his wife mm. and their granddaughter mm. were thrown into mm. their house and it was set alight. They died there. Mm. If in 1979, Headman was subjected to similar treatment. Uh, in the same year, uh, Chief Rukweza, mm was uh, butchered in, mm. I, we didn't talk about, I didn't just become a journalist. No. I, no. I started somewhere. Absolutely. I was a teacher during the war of liberation. I saw people being killed, mm. people that I knew. Somebody was killed while sitting next to me. Mm. Yeah. I saw people who were killed by, by, the, by the Rhodesian army. Yeah. I was arrested. And I, I, had, I, I had the responsibility of putting order to these disbowled bodies. So I saw death during the open. And no, there's no talk yeah. of, there's total, total silence. People were killed by the Rhodesian sources, forces. Yeah. People were killed by Zandla. Mm. Not a word is said. No. No. Jeff, you and I could go on and on. And on. Um, actually, we, we have just touched the, the tip of the iceberg. Your life is, uh, um, is an inspirational story. You are a trailblazer, like I said when I started, you know, an objective history of this country uh, would put you right up there in terms of influencing and impacting this nation. So, Jeff, I don't take lightly, you're creating the time to, to spend with us. Thank you so much. Allow me, Jeff, to turn to our audience who are in Zimbabwe, uh, on the continent and in the diaspora who watch this show on a weekly basis. Remember, we come out every Monday at 7 a.m. Central African time. And I invite you to click on this red button to subscribe. When you subscribe, you re receive an alert every time we have one of these quality conversations. But until next time, cheers to you all.